pastors here at Promise of Victory. Uh, we're not obviously the only part of Promise of Victory. As you look around the room, uh, you see a lot of people and, and a lot of different uh, faces. And, and so we all welcome you. We all welcome you not only this Easter, but please uh, make it a regular habit. There's nothing better than coming to the house of the Lord on Sundays and getting fueled up for the work week. Amen. So welcome, welcome to Easter at Promise of Victory. And I know a lot of you probably got a big afternoon planned. You probably got a lot of uh, things that you're going to try to get in this afternoon. Some of you are going to come back and join us uh, this, this evening. And we appreciate your time, so I'm not going to try to keep you uh, for an extended amount of time. So let me just get right into this morning's message. Now a lot of you may not know, but God loves us so much that when we get a little bit older, he gives us superpowers. It's true. See, when my wife turned 40, she got the superpower of taking naps. Like, like she can be, it, the sun can be out, it can be right in the middle of the day, she can just, just conk out, doesn't matter. She even plans it. Like, she'll say, I think I'm going to nap now. And then she goes and does it. Somebody like me, I don't have that superpower, and, and you can't get it when you're young. It's much too powerful. But I don't have a superpower. I can plan to take a nap. I'll lay down, I'll toss and turn and flip and flop and get hot and then cold, and then I want to cover on, I want to cover off. By the time I finally do get to the place where I think I might be able, it's time to get up. So, so I don't do naps. But us husbands, God loves us too, so he didn't leave us out. He gave us a superpower too. And let me tell you what it is. We have the ability to be looking for something. Why are you laughing? We can be looking for something, and the thing we're looking for be right in front of us, and we can't see it. <laughs> That's our superpower. Like, where's the mayonnaise? It's on the second shelf. I'm on the second shelf. I took the whole second shelf out of the refrigerator and put it back. Honey, I know it's on the second shelf. It's not on the second shelf. She can go there and in less than two seconds, guess where the mayonnaise was? On the second shelf. So that's our superpower. We can be blind to something that is right in front of our face. And in the grand scheme of things, not being able to see mayonnaise isn't that big of a deal. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is maybe that happens with us with bigger things in our life. Maybe, maybe there's some things that are present in our lives that we're not realizing because even though it's right in front of us, maybe we can't see it. And I want to talk to you about that on Easter this morning because here at Promise of Victory, we have been studying through the book of James. Now, James is the younger brother of Jesus. A lot of people don't know Jesus had any brothers or sisters, but James is the younger brother of Jesus, and he wrote one of the books of the Bible. He also was a pastor in one of the early churches after Jesus had been resurrected and went back to heaven. But what is really significant about James is that the Bible tells us James did not believe Jesus. When Jesus was growing up with James and claiming to be the Messiah, James didn't believe him. How many of you have brothers? Okay, so how many of you would write worship songs to your brother? Nobody in this room would claim your brother was God. Some of you would swear in a court of law that he was Satan. 
But you would never worship Him as God. You would never write worship songs to Him. You certainly wouldn't pray to Him. So James, growing up with Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. In other words, he had the ability to have Jesus right in his face and not see him. He had the ability to grow up in the same house with Jesus and not realize who he was in the presence of. Now over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is describing what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And it says in verse 3, I preached this, this one passage, I preached this one scripture uh, on Good Friday. By the way, we had a fantastic Good Friday service. If you were here, the Lord really moved in a powerful way. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, I passed on to you what was the most important. In other words, Paul said, there's nothing more important than what I'm about to preach. I, the thing I have told you and what I'm about to tell you is the most important message that I could give to you. And it's the same thing that had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scripture said. He was seen. Pay attention to that because that's what I'm going to preach about this morning. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Verse 6 says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse 7 says, again, then he was seen by who? His brother James, and later by the apostles. So I want you to get this. Jesus is come back from the tomb. He has resurrected, and he is strategically making appearances to certain people. He knows who don't believe in Him. He knows who needs to see Him. So He is strategically going back and showing Himself to His apostles. And one of the people that Paul specifically points out that Jesus made Himself known to was His brother, His little brother, James. I don't know what that conversation sounded like. Because they grew up together. They played sports together. They probably played games together. They probably cried when they were little boys together and fell down, skinned each other's knees. Maybe they did a uh, punch buggy when they were riding in the back of the car. Uh, there, there were a lot of exchanges between Jesus and James, and James did not believe Jesus when he said that Jesus was the Messiah. I can't understand how you don't get it, but he didn't get it until Jesus was seen by him. I don't know what that conversation sounded like. I don't take Jesus as a I told you so kind of guy. But this was a perfect example for him to show up and say, I told you so. So how is it possible that you could live with him and never really see him? That's what I want to preach to you this morning. That's the question that I want to explore with you on Easter. And I'm going to take you through several stories through the Bible where people were in the presence of Him and did not see Him. And then we're going to talk about why that happens. When you read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, it's been three days since Jesus had rose from the dead. He's appeared to all the apostles. He's made Himself known. Some women show up on Easter morning at the tomb. Mary sees Him, don't know it's Him. She thinks He's a gardener. 
There's been all kinds of rumors and speculation going around town. Jesus is alive, just like these children just ministered to us and told us Jesus is alive. But you know, just like the book of faith that we have today, the way rumors spread around, some people believe it, some people don't. This is true. No, it's a lie. I Googled it, and I found out Jesus is still in the tomb. I Googled it and found out the, the, that the disciples stole his body. He's not really alive. People don't really know what to think. It is utter chaos. They watched this man preach and do miracles for three years, and now he's dead, and they don't know what to make of it. And there was a lot of things happening, and a lot of people were not, af they were so afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. So they were leaving town, they were going different places, they were locking themselves in rooms. And Luke chapter 24 tells the story of two men who were walking on a road to a town called Emmaus. And the Bible says that as they walked, it was a seven mile journey. It's not a short walk. And the Bible says that they were talking about all the things that had just happened. In other words, they were talking about Jesus is dead, how they killed him, how they saw him die. They saw him wrap his, his body in clothes and in linens and put him in a tomb. And now everybody is saying he's alive. And Peter says he saw him. And Mary says she saw him. And, and, these, and, and Thomas said that he showed up and said, put your hand right here if you don't believe who I am. I mean, there's all these rumors going around. And these two brothers are walking down to Emmaus. And the Bible says that when they're talking about what's going on, there's this other guy that just walks up to them and asks them the question, what are you talking about? Now the Bible says, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that don't know the story. Because they say there was this prophet named Jesus who they crucified and they buried, and now they say he's risen from the dead. These guys used to call him a Messiah. Now they call him a prophet. Because he didn't do what they thought he should do, now they have lost faith that he was who he said he was. What I want to begin my sermon with this morning is to tell you that sometimes you will get disappointed with God, but it doesn't mean that God's not exactly who He says He is. I mean, have you ever asked God to do something and He didn't do it exactly the way you wanted Him to? One of my biggest problems with God is He don't mind me. I mean, we and Him would get along splendidly if He would just do things the way I want Him to do when I need it done. But he doesn't mind me. And these two boys are talking to each other. They're walking along the journey. And Jesus himself comes over to them. He walks with them. They are in the presence of Jesus. And they don't know who he is. Now the Bible says that their eyes could not understand what they were looking at. So their world has been shattered they have left everything to follow Jesus. You have to understand, in Jesus' day when you were a disciple, it meant you gave up your business, you sold your house, you left your family, you did everything, you gave away everything to follow this man. And now this man is dead, and they don't know what's going to happen to them, to the ministry, to the church. And then this third guy shows up, and let's be honest. If somebody came back from the dead, 
you wouldn't think that he would just walk up to you on the road, would you? I mean, if somebody's going to raise from the dead, you would think there'd be some fireworks, maybe a magic show. He'd come riding a motorcycle, jumping through a fiery circle like Evil Knievel or something. But no, he just calmly walks up beside of these two and starts walking alongside of them. But verse 16 of Luke 24 says they did not recognize Jesus. I wonder how many times in your life Jesus has showed up and you didn't recognize him. I wonder how many times Jesus has interjected himself into your worst situations and you didn't notice he was there. I'm not going to call you out this morning, but I wonder how many of you have wondered, God, where are you? And you did not even see that he was there all along. Just like James. James grew up in the same house with Jesus and couldn't see who he was. And we sing songs in church about wanting to get close to him. But the truth of the matter is, he can be as close to us as he was to these two guys on the road. And us never recognize that he's right there and totally miss him. This passage also tells us that sometimes, sometimes we show up where we think he should be. And when we don't see what we think we should see, we don't believe that God is there. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 24, verses 22 and following. The Bible says, oh, you don't know who this guy Jesus is? Well, let us tell you. He was a prophet and he died. And Mary and some of the other women, the Bible says, showed up at the tomb that morning and they couldn't find the body. They did not see Jesus. But wait. Because the Bible says when Mary got to the tomb, the tomb was empty. It didn't say she didn't see Jesus. Because she actually saw what she thought was a gardener. But because she wasn't looking for an alive Jesus, she was looking for a corpse. See, some of you have been wondering where the Lord is in all your mess, but you gotta, it's not that He wasn't there, it's what you were expecting. Because some of you have expected your life to take a bad turn. Some of you have expected God to let you stay miserable. Some of you have expected God to allow you to stay depressed. Some of you have expected nothing good and everything bad, and when He doesn't show up the way you think He should show up, you think God ain't there. But I'm here to tell somebody on Easter morning that Jesus got up so he could be where you need him when you need him. As a matter of fact, go over and read John's gospel and the story of the resurrection and you'll find out that Mary didn't immediately recognize Jesus. Why? Well, the Bible says it was dark. The Bible says she was crying. Anybody ever tried to cry real good? And then see something? Bible says it was dark. Bible says she was crying. And the Bible says that she saw a man, but because she wasn't expecting God to be alive and outside the tomb, she didn't think it was Jesus. But then when she finally heard him, when he revealed himself to her, she ran and told the disciples. And the disciples get into a foot race. The Bible says John and Peter run to the tomb. Peter is faster than John, not just with his mouth, but with his feet too. Peter gets to the tomb first. 
He gets into the tomb and all he finds is the clothes that Jesus was wearing folded up and the thing that was covering his face, the napkin that was covering his face is folded up and laying beside of it and the tomb is empty. They did not, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, they did not see Jesus. Do you see a thing? All these people that know what Jesus is supposed to look like. All these church folk that think they know and got the market covered on who Jesus is and what he looks like and where he's supposed to show up. They show up where they think he's supposed to be, but they can't find Jesus. I wonder how many times you have showed up and wondered where God was and Jesus was there all along and you could not see him. They came to the tomb. He was gone. They were heartbroken. They were crying. They didn't know what to expect. They were living in fear. And she don't recognize him even when she's talking to him. I have one point to make this morning. And it says this. Our weak conditions often disguise his powerful presence. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus couldn't see Jesus because they were, dis they were so distraught that Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. That he wasn't who they thought he was. They couldn't see him when he was right in their face. The, 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 the disciples and Mary, when they showed up at the tomb, they thought he was dead. They expected to find a corpse. So they couldn't see him even though he was in front of them. Because their weak condition disguised his powerful presence. Why do I bring this message to you on an Easter morning? Because you need to know that the same thing happens in your life. How many of you have had bad stuff happen? How many of you have had bad stuff happen recently? Now don't raise your hand for this one. But some of you know, like I do, that when too much bad stuff happens, it makes you doubt what you used to believe. I, I, I'll be the only honest Christian on resurrection morning. I'll be the only one that will give myself an amen. That's good preaching, preacher. But I, I want you to, to hear me say it and let you off the hook for feeling this way. Sometimes when bad things happen, and if it happens long enough and enough of it comes your way, you will start doubting things that you used to profess. Things that you used to preach to other folks when they were down, when they were in torment, when they were wondering where God was, you would tell them, don't worry, have faith, stand up strong. And then when the shoe was on the other foot, it will make you question. I'm not saying you backslide. I'm not saying that you give up your faith. But it does make somebody wonder, why did this happen to me? I did everything I was supposed to do God, why did this happen to me? These boys, when they were on their way to Emmaus, they make one key statement that I want to bring to your attention. Jesus is standing there beside them, and they don't even know it's Jesus. Why? Because they looked at each other and said, we thought he was the one. But because he didn't do what we thought he would do when we thought he would do it, now we question if he was who he claimed. The Bible says that they thought he was going to redeem Israel. 
Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus get up after three days? Because he redeemed Israel. He redeemed you and he redeemed me. Why are we here today 2,000 years later and the church is still triumphant and full of glory? Because he has redeemed us. He didn't do it the way they thought he was going to do it, but it don't mean he wasn't still God and wasn't doing things his way. And sometimes when God doesn't fit inside of our box and fit our preconceived ideas of how he's... Well, I thought I'd be married by now. I never thought I would be the one divorced. I thought my kids would always serve the Lord. I put them in church when they were. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. Why? My grandmother has served you all these years and she got cancer? This wasn't supposed to happen to us. When God doesn't fit inside of our preconceived ideas, we will start to wonder if God really is good and if God is who he claims to be. Proverbs says that hope put on hold makes your heart sick. That when you have hope for something and it doesn't happen fast enough, that it makes your heart sick. And I know in a room this size, I'm talking to some sick hearts. Some of you are hoping that your sick lungs will get healed. And some of you are hoping your sick hearts will get healed. And, uh, and, and you're talking about high blood pressure. But I'm, I'm speaking to the heart that really matters. Because it's the heart that connects you with the Spirit of God. And some of you have sick hearts. Not because uh, you've got angina or because you've got an irregular heartbeat. Some of you have sick hearts because you believed God at one point. You believed that things was going to work out for your good. And then it didn't go the way you wanted to. But I'm here to tell you this morning to quit believing even a lie because the fact that you are here and still breathing air means that God has been working things out in your life. In other words, church, if God's been good to you for all these years, why would you assume he'd stop now? If God has been good for all of these years, why would this situation be when he quit? Behavioral scientists will tell you that there is a condition that we have in our brain that there's a network of nerve cells called the reticular activating system. That's a big fancy word that means this. You see what you are prepared to see. Okay? This, it works like this. Once something is brought to your attention, you see it all the time. Have you ever bought a new car and then see that same car everywhere you go? I, I bought a black Ford pickup truck and everybody in Brook and Hancock County got black Ford pickup trucks. Now what happened? Did everybody get jealous of my truck and go out and buy a truck? Or were they already there? But my brain was not fixed on looking at them until I trained it to see black Ford trucks. And what you fix your mind on and prepare yourself to see is what you will see everywhere you go. That's why Mary didn't see Jesus. She wasn't looking for a man. She was looking for a body. 
That's why these two brothers on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him because he didn't come with trumpets blaring. He didn't look like a dead, resurrected zombie man. He was just Jesus, and they wasn't expecting Jesus to show up where he showed up. Some of you only expect Jesus to show up when you cry real hard or when you speak in tongues or when you do double backflips and leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling. But I've come to open somebody's eyes to the fact that even when you go to the on office, Jesus is right there. When you go to the cemetery and cry those tears, Jesus is right there. That even if you don't recognize him, it don't mean he's not there. You just haven't opened your eyes yet. It's hard to see him through sadness. It's hard to see him through problems. As a matter of fact, let me show you in Acts chapter 9 what I mean. Acts chapter 9, there's a man named Saul who likes to kill Christians. It's what he does. And he's on his way with some arrest warrants to put some Christians to death through execution. And Acts chapter 9, verse 3, says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice he never saw Jesus. He only heard his voice. And in fact, verse 8 says this. Saul got up from the ground, because that's what happened when God smacks you. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. So he didn't eat or drink anything. Now God had another disciple named Ananias. And he told Ananias to go down and pray for Saul. So Saul could get his eyesight back. And verse 18 says, Immediately, something like scales... Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He was in the presence of Jesus and he could not see Jesus, only hear his voice. God allowed him to be struck blind in the natural. And then scales, say scales. Scales fell from his eyes. Now, I took the liberty of going back and looking at that word in the Greek. And here's what this word means. An epithelial debris. Much like the scales of a fish, which didn't surprise me because I'm a fisherman. And I know them nasty little critters. They got them scales all over them. And they, when you get them on your hands, you, don't, you find them five days later. I understand that. But the last term makes all the sense to me in the world. Scales as on a fish or a serpent. It's hard to see Jesus clearly. When you have to look through something that the devil has put on you. See, 
See, it is hard. All of these individuals, the, the brothers on the way to, 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 to Emmaus and Mary at the tomb and, and Saul, everybody is trying to look through something to see Jesus. And I want you to know how hard it is to clearly see Jesus. You can come to church every Sunday that the doors are open and never really see Jesus if you're having to look through something that the devil has put on you. So what are you prepared to see? I am prepared. I am conditioned to look for a black Ford pickup truck. I want to see all the accessories because I want to know what I'm going to buy next. I want to know what kind of wheels they got on. I want to know what kind of tonneau cover they're running. I want to see what kind of light system they got up under because when I see something, I go, ooh. I might want that. I am conditioned. I don't look at Dodges. I don't look at red trucks. I don't look at little cars. I look at black Ford trucks because I want to know what looks good on a black Ford truck. I'm conditioned to see it. So what are you conditioned to look at? Some of you are wondering where God is. I'm going to show him to you. Because the scales are about to come off your eyes because you have been trying to look through something that the devil put on you. And it is hard to find Jesus looking through some stuff. So I'm going to give you some examples of the Bible. We're going to go down through a list real quickly of individuals that tried to see Jesus, but they were having to look through the filter of something else. In Luke chapter 19, there's a little man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the Bible said, wanted to see Jesus, but he was short. You know what shortness is in a lot of instances? A limitation. Some of you are trying to see Jesus, but you are having to look through limitations. And the enemy will use your limitations to taunt you. The enemy will tell you, oh, you can't sing because you can't sing like somebody else. You, you, you would embarrass yourself if you prayed in the microphone because you don't pray like Pastor Lejean does. See, the devil's always going to try to make you feel inferior. The devil is always going to take your limitations and make them seem much larger than they really are. Because the enemy's going to look at you and say, why would God love somebody like you? You know what you've done. You blew it. You had your chance and you made your mistakes and your limitations are going to hold you back forever. You have so many sins behind you. Nobody's ever going to take you serious. You blew it. How could even God love you now? Now, if you don't guard your heart, these scales will become limitations that you will constantly look through and you will miss Jesus and never do anything for him. The Bible also tells us about the disciples. They had to look through the scales of fear. Two different times the disciples thought they were about to die. While Jesus was with them. One time he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. He came up, woke from his nap, wiped the sleep from his eyes. And said, you bunch of... I can't say the words in church. He said, do you honestly think that a boat that I'm on, do you really believe that if I'm with you, I'm going to let you drown? Oh, that's a good word for somebody this morning. Do you really believe a, a husband and a wife that will put Jesus on the boat, your boat can't sink? Can I hear somebody say amen? 
Keep believing for your wayward children. Keep believing for your prodigal sons and daughters because if Jesus is on the ship with you, your ship cannot sink. It don't matter how high the waves are. It don't matter how hard the wind blows. Keep believing that your boat won't sink. Don't let fear cause you to miss seeing Jesus. Then, then in John chapter 4, there's a woman. There's a woman that Jesus meets at a well. And what she has to see Jesus through is the scales of religion. The Bible says that she looked at him and said in verse 9, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Our races don't get along. My race don't like your race. What are you asking me for a drink for? Verse 10, Jesus said, If you could only see who you was talking to. The problem is you're looking through the wrong scales and you can't see who is plainly in front of you. Because if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you not just water but living water and you would never thirst again. And then... We're, we, we see how, how religion has so twisted her view of who Jesus is because jump down to verse 20 and the Bible says this. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while us Samaritans think that you can do it on Mount Gerizim? Can I tell you that religion is deadly? And it is most dangerous when you worship it instead of Him. Because Jesus answered her in verse 23 and he says, let me tell you something, the time is coming and now is when those that will worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it don't matter who's standing beside of you and it don't matter what color their skin is and it doesn't matter where they were, yes, last night and it don't matter if they're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal, none of that matters because we're all here for the same reason which is to lift up the Lord God on high because in, at, we are all equal at the foot of his cross and he died for for all of us, and we all should be worshiping Him together equally. So religion had blinded her. She was trying to look through the scales of religion. And then in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus goes back to His hometown. Some of you still live in your hometown. Some of you know what it's like to move out and go back to your hometown. And the place looks a whole lot smaller when you go back. It was enormous when you were riding your bikes around town. There's got to be a million people in this town. And then you get out and actually see some of the world, and you go back, and you're like, what happened to this town? Jesus goes back to Nazareth in Matthew chapter 13, and the Bible says that when he went there, the people who knew him best, the people who knew him longest, had scales on their eyes. And here's what their scales was disrespect because these individuals looked at him and said that's just Jesus I went to high school with his sister she wasn't even on good cheerleading this is the hillbilly Appalachian version this is not in the King James I knew his brothers we played football together that's just Jesus 
Who is he to be coming here preaching to us about eternal life? That's just Jesus. I remember Mary. Listen, his daddy, Joseph, and him made our dining room table. And the leg wobbled. If he can't make a table to not wobble, who does he think he is calling that saying he's the son of God? I mean, they, they had total disrespect for who he claimed to be. And I know some of you are sitting there going, Pastor, I would, I love the Lord. I would never disrespect him. Can I tell you that you do that whenever you get too comfortable with him? Don't ever say you would never disrespect the Lord because we all do at some point in our life and our walk with Him because we take Him just a little bit too carelessly. Some of us get way too comfortable in His presence. Now, I don't want you to come back and into the... Because the Bible says come boldly before the throne of God. But you need to have an awe about you. Because He is not your homeboy. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings... And we should never approach him with anything less than total admiration, worship, and respect. So you honor God. And you honor God in two different ways. Number one, you honor him with what you do. John 14 and 21 says, when you hear my commandments and you do them, then I know you love me. I don't know you love me because you put an Easter picture on your Facebook page. That's easy. What's not so easy is hearing his commandments about loving your neighbor and actually doing it. He says, when, when you hear my word and then you do it, I know you love me. So you honor God in what you do. You also honor God in what you don't. I'm going to get in trouble now. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been in trouble in a while. Because you also honor God with what you give up, what you leave behind. That's why he said, take up your cross and follow me. Crosses are not meant to be comforts. Crosses are not meant to be easy. It means that you're going to have to give up some things. So you honor God with what you don't do with your temper, Albert Mitchum. You honor God with what you don't do with your body. You honor God with what you don't do with your attitude. When you're cut off in traffic and you want to tell them something about themselves that they don't know about themselves. You honor God with what you don't do with your finances, with what you don't do with your job, with what you don't do with your relationships. You honor God. Last but not least, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time that I have with you talking about a brother who is worthy of respect but was not perfect. Because John the Baptist, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 29 that John the Baptist was baptizing in the river Jordan and he sees his cousin Jesus now, he talked about Jesus had a family, didn't he? I mean, he's got Mary and Joseph for parents. His uncle is a priest. His cousin is a priest. He's got two brothers that end up being pastors and write two books in the Bible. We're going to let Mary teach the mother's class at church because she knows how to raise a family. Here, 
The Bible says that John the Baptist looks up and he sees his cousin. And here's what he says in verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What's those next words? This is the one. This is the one. And I wish I could tell you that John the Baptist and Jesus formed an alliance and went on a tour preaching in arenas. And John was the opening act and Jesus was the headliner. And all the lepers got cleansed and all the demons got run out of town. John said, this is the one. Look at your neighbor and say, he's the one. That's what he said. John, John the Baptist, his cousin, who knew him about as good as anybody. I mean, they were cousins. He looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, he's the one. It's funny what scales will do to your eyes. It, it's funny because you'll come to church and get excited about Jesus. But when life turns on you John the Baptist ended up with scales on his eyes and the scales that the devil put on his eyes was the scales of disappointment John the Baptist said he's the one he's the one and then when you're reading Matthew's gospel in, verse 11, in chapter 11 and verse 3, John's in prison. He got arrested. It wasn't because he got in a fight down at the strip joint. It wasn't because he was resisting arrest. It wasn't because he was peddling drugs. He got arrested for preaching, telling the truth about God's law. And he's arrested and he's in jail and he's received a death sentence. They're going to put him to death. And in Matthew's gospel, John asked the question. He tells his disciples, go and find Jesus, my cousin, and ask him this. Are you the one? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the one that told me he was the one. Back in, the, in John chapter 1, you looked up, saw him, and said, He's the one. What changed your testimony, John? Why, what made you go from preaching that he is the one to questioning what you used to preach? Disappointment. John thought, if he really is Jesus, why am I in jail? If he really is who I thought he was, why did this happen to me? See, it is hard for you to see Jesus through the mess that the devil puts on you. If I get the music to come.
in a in a crowd like this, I got to ask a question. What what scales are blocking your view? Because it could be fear. It could be hurt. It could be disappointment. I didn't even get to the scales of humanity that maybe some of you can't see Jesus through the scales of lust, loneliness. Because some of you are probably loving Jesus when you feel him. And let's be honest, it's easy to feel him in a room like this. When this music is playing the way it's playing and people are clapping their hands and raising their hands, I mean, you can't help but to feel Jesus. But what these stories have taught us today is that you can be in His presence and totally miss Him. James grew up with Him in the same house and didn't believe Him. Mary showed up looking for him, and even when she saw him, she didn't recognize him because he wasn't the way she thought he would be. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist used to preach, you're the one, until something bad happened. He questioned, are you the one? Some of you are sitting here, and you would love Jesus if he would just let you live your life the way you want to. So it's hard for you to look through because you're looking through the eyes of addiction. You're looking through the eyes of lust or you're looking through the eyes of wounds and hurts and embarrassment. And you're blind to the love that Jesus has for you because the scales of the devil have covered you. And some of you, some of you know he's a good guy and some of you enjoy coming to church but you just don't seem the same way pastor it's good for you that's it's it's fine for you but I just don't see him that way my question for you on this resurrection morning is why not why would you want to miss him why would you go through all the trouble to show up at his tomb and then miss him when he's right in front of you. So on this resurrection morning, I have to ask you, what's blocking your view? What's in the way of you seeing him clearly? Some of you are angry. You're mad because of the divorce. You're, you're mad because they got the kids. You're mad because the boss cut you off and let somebody else who didn't perform as good as you did take your position. Some of you are angry because the government and the inflation and this and that and you're angry because the mother that should have supported you abandoned you and some of you are angry and you can't see Jesus clearly because of this mess that the devil has covered you in. But I want to tell you that the good news of resurrection is that there is nothing the devil has put on you that Jesus can't take off of you. The fact that he got up means that you can put one foot in front of the other 
one more time. He is not defeated and neither are you. But you have to learn how to see him. Some of you are going through the darkest season of your life. There's no doubt in a room with this many people in it, somebody is going through the darkest season of your life, and you have asked the question, whether you verbalized it or internalized it, you've asked the question, God, where are you in all of this? God, I have done everything. I go to church. I pay tithes, I, I, I witness, I've told people about you. I've even been there for other people when they were down. God, what's up with this? And if that's you in this room, and you say, Pastor, I'd really like to see Jesus in my life. I'd, I'd really like to see him working and operating in my life. If that's you, why don't you lift your hands in the air and I'm going to pray over you in this room. Because some of you are only seeing the problems in your life and some of you are only seeing the mess in your life and some of you are only seeing the difficulties that the devil has put on you. You say, Pastor, I'd really like to see. I'd really like to. I would see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. I need a healing in my body. I need a healing in my mind. I need, I, I, I'd like to see Jesus move and operate I see the trouble. I see the doctor's slip. I, I see the, the diagnosis. I see the divorce decree. I see how they packed their bags and moved out. I, I, I see the problems at work, but I would like to see Jesus. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, you see every hand in this room. And you see the hurt that is represented on every life. And God, as we lift this up to you today, we pray that you would send your ministering spirit, that you would envelop them and engulf them and soothe them and ease them. And God, that your spirit would fill them, that they would open themselves up to you like they never have before so that they can finally see you for who you really are. This is the day, Lord, that we finally see you Reveal yourself to them. Come into their families, God, and reintroduce yourself to them. Stop them from seeing the setbacks and the problems and the heartache. And let them see you. Show them, God, how much you love them and how much you care for them and how much they mean to you. Take the scales from their eyes. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, be free, be loosed. Have your sight back in the name of Jesus. Now there's another group of people here that we need to pray for. And I've been praying for you for weeks. Because you're the ones that don't know Jesus. And I've been praying for weeks for you to get here. Because you've been walking around your entire life maybe with scales. And everything you've seen on this earth has looked good to you or bad to you. But you've never noticed the hand that was walking with you through it all. You think things like luck and karma and these kind of 
cosmic things have helped you. But I'm telling you that it was the providential hand of God that has saved you, kept you, and protected you when you were not even looking for Him. We couldn't see Jesus, but that doesn't stop Jesus from seeing us. John chapter 9 says there was a blind man who Jesus came to. When he couldn't see Jesus, Jesus saw him. And some of you are sitting in this room today and you are blind to Jesus. You're blind to the resurrected Lord. You're blind to the hope and the future that you will have in eternity. But it doesn't stop Jesus from seeing you. And you're here today because you need to surrender. You need to give your life to Him once and for all. Pastor, what are you asking me to do? I'm just asking you to open your heart and receive the greatest love that you, that's ever going to be known to you. Listen, you've looked for it in bottles and you haven't found it. You've looked for it in different bedrooms and it's not there. You've looked in it for, with money and jobs and promotions. And when you get there and you finally achieve, guess what? You're empty. Because that's not what you need. You've been blind to what you needed, but today the scales are coming off. And you're going to finally see that the real thing that you need in your life was not a thing at all. It was a man and his name was Jesus. And we celebrate him not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because he is alive and he is a present help in our time of need. So I'm going to... I'm going to ask right now if there's anybody under the sound of my voice. And listen, I'm not going to ask you to come up here and I'm not going to make a big scene and I'm not going to embarrass you. But I am going to ask you to make a proclamation because it's important that you do it. If you're here under the sound of my voice or if you're watching online and you have never received Christ as your Lord. In other words, you've never said, I've never seen Him. I've seen lust and I've seen addiction and I've seen all this. I've seen alcoholism and I've seen abuse. I've never seen Jesus. I want to see Jesus. If that's you and you've never, you've never turned your life and surrendered your life over to Him, or maybe, maybe you did that, but then you walked away from Him and scales have gotten over your eyes and clouded your vision and you don't know who He is anymore. Today's the day. It's not your lucky day. It's your appointed day. He brought you here for this. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to be brave. But I'm also going to ask you to be sincere. Because I want you to lift your hand into the air. And I want you to know that when you do that and you make the commitment, I need Jesus. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I want to go to heaven. I realize that this life has not been what I've wanted it to be and that I need to surrender myself to Him, when you do that, that the Holy Spirit of God is just going to come alive in you and your life will never be the same again. 
this, this, this man Jesus is going to wreck you from this day going forward because he's going to dominate your thoughts and he's going to start changing you from the inside out. And it's not going to be one of these things where you're going to run around the, the room and, and, and it's, it's, it's not anything. It's going to happen inside of you. It's going to take place on the inside of you and the scales are going to come off of your eyes and you're going to start seeing the world in a whole new way. And I've been praying for you for weeks. And if that's you, if that's you, we want to celebrate you. So I'm going to ask you on the count of three if you would lift your hands into the air and say, yes, I, I, I want to see Jesus. I want to see him in my life. I want to make him Lord of my life, and I want to turn the rest of my life over to him. Ready? One, two. If that's you, three. Raise your hand into the air. Thank you, Jesus. Christians, help me celebrate. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight. Now here's what we're going to do. We're all going to do this together. Those of you that just raised your hands and every other person in this room, we're going to pray together. Ready? Say, Dear Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner, and you are perfect, and I love you because you first loved me. Thank you for your sacrifice, and I give you myself. You're not getting much, but you're getting all of me. From this day forward, be Lord in my life. I want to see you. I give you my life so I can receive yours. In your name I pray, I am saved. Now give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! Now what, Pastor? We got to come up and drink Kool-Aid and, and, and join the church? No. No. You need to get in church. You need to open that Bible. You need to find yourself in the fellowship of believers. But what you need to do, you just did. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you're saved. That's, that's, it's, it's that simple. Now there's some steps in walking it out. Yes, absolutely, it's important. Get in church, stay in church, learn to pray, learn to talk to Him. He's your Father, He loves you. Jesus is your older brother, He loves you. Learn to talk to Him, learn to get in the Word, get plugged into church, but most importantly, celebrate because your last breath here will be your first breath over there. And that's a far better place to be, my God in heaven. So thank you for being here on this Resurrection Day. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand all over the building, and I'm going to ask the praise team to lead us in a, in a worship chorus before we're dismissed. I love your promise of victory. To those of you that are new in the faith, if you want some advice 
Come and find some of the staff. Come and find me. We'd be happy to pray with you, love on you, and appreciate you this morning. God bless you on this Easter morning.